This is Donald P. Belisario, and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 146, Angels Unaware. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today we welcome you back to another meeting of the Quantum Leap Podcast Book Club. And we will be discussing book 12. Book 12. <sighs> How did we get 12 novels into, what is it, like, 16, 18 novels? It's hard to believe that I've read 12 novels in my life. <laughs> I feel like we glossed through the McConnell verse a little bit. I, f- I feel like we coasted there. I don't know. No, I feel like those were some of our longest shows and most interesting. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think we went we went deep into the McConnell verse. Yeah. The McConnell verse is always there, you see. It <laughs> yeah, laid down the foundation. True. For all of the books. The McConnell verse is never truly gone. But, you know, we, we are we are sort of veering away into we, – we've skewed into this tangent of reality, which is the storm verse. We, we have to call it that now because we're on the second book by author L. Elizabeth Storm, Angels Unaware. It is another Al novel. Surprise, Liz is writing another Al novel. <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely tell who her favorite is. An- another epic length Al novel. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Her uh, for people who don't remember, that was uh, her previous novel was Pulitzer. Yeah, which was um, you know a light read about PTSD <laughs> and uh, <laughs> disco dancing and uh, Washington intrigue. She's a fun one. Yeah, I mean, really, it's just, and this one gets even lighter. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I think this was a lighter novel. What? I mean, <laughs> the ending's not light, but it was lighter than Pulitzer. Pulitzer is a pretty heavy novel. In a couple ways. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess we we can debate that, but um, I still found this one to be somewhat heavy. But uh, it was dense, that's for sure. And um, <laughs> we kind of joked about it last time. I have the back cover blurb here. Does anyone uh, object to me reading the blurb? Please go ahead. Oh, all right. Go for it. A Leaper Earns His Wings, September 1981. A little girl named Teresa Bruckner is visited by an angel, a man in strange clothes who says his name is Al. He sings her a lullaby and promises to come back someday, before vanishing in a flash of blue light. April 1995. 
Teresa Bruckner is no longer sure she believes in the angel named Al. In fact, she doesn't know what she believes anymore. So she goes to a peaceful New England monastery to rest and think and plan. And, according to Ziggy, to die. Now Sam Beckett, who has leaped into a visiting priest, must change things for Teresa as he did once before. But the odds are not good, and it soon becomes obvious that it will take more than one leaper and one cigar-smoking angel to save her from certain death. Quantum Leap, Angels Unaware, an all-new adventure, first time in print by L. Elizabeth Storm. So, a little misleading there, huh? Uh, Again, with the back cover. I mean, this one's actually a little bit more accurate than most of them, but well, what was misleading about it? Well, right. he said, here's the thing. It said, now Sam Beckett must change things for Teresa as he did once before. I guess that's technically true because Sam saved Teresa's brother, Kevin. So that changed things for her. But it's not like they were there to do anything for her on that leap and another mother except for, like, babysit. Uh, I, I know <laughs> this is me talking, but that that's a little picky. <laughs> <laughs> to, 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 to get at the cover blurb writers for not being strictly accurate to continuity with something from several years before. It is strictly accurate, so I stand corrected. They did change things for her, though. Even if the leap wasn't about exactly uh, about exactly. saving her, they yes. changed her life. I mean, that's part of what this novel is about. Like, it changed her perspective, the fact that she believes in angels and has this crisis of faith because you know like what happened to her angels you know like it it did change her life yeah chris you suck (laughs) (laughs) suck it chris anyway i i I, one might argue reading this novel that it changed her life for the worse but uh we can get Mm -hmm. into that (laughs) you know it's really funny Super funny. Okay, so they there's some things about the ending we'll get into when the ending happens, but we do find out some things uh, about uh, what happened after another mother. And then um, one of the first things they tell us is like, oh, yeah, and then the mom died of cancer. And like, I think it's such a cop out when they do follow ups to stuff and they're like, oh, remember these people you spent all this time with? Anyway, they're dead now. Who cares? Like they did. Uh, they did that in the pilot script for um, Bold Leap Forward. What the original mm-hmm. uh, oh, really? reboot of Quantum mm-hmm. Leap they tried to do? Yeah. Wow, Dish, do tell. Beth died of cancer in that script. Yeah. Yeah. Beth did, huh? Yeah. Like, Al's like, oh, anyway, Beth's dead, so I could be lecherous again. Let's continue on with this, Sammy Joe. And it's like, this is so <laughs> dumb. It's so dumb. <laughs> Talk about undercutting, like, one of the greatest endings. Imagine if they discovered that this was like a, a side effect of leaping, that most leapies just die of cancer soon afterwards. That's just, yeah. it's like a, a, I don't know why I laugh at that. Thing. You, magic got lucky, but. Oh no, like the, the nuclear power uh, from yeah. off of Sam, like he had like nuclear energy coming off him and he radiated everyone and then that's why the cancer follows him. Yeah, yeah. He helps all these people, but the leapies, they're not. <laughs> Sam is essentially patient zero in his own little his own little plague. Oh boy! Anyway, I just thought that was kind of dumb. Like it's like you don't have to make everything sad post when Sam left, you know. Oh, well, but this is Angels Unaware, so if you think that's sad, just wait, just wait. Uh, oh boy! Um, so why don't we do some initial impressions and then maybe we'll get into this because there is so much to talk about in this book, man. Uh, Allison, <laughs> Allison. Pre- Regular. What are your initial impressions of Angels Unaware? 
I mean, I I like this book. I don't think it's as strong as Pulitzer, but I like that it is a little lighter, despite some of the depressing elements to it. I think the writing's really good. Uh, I do think there's too much happening, though, and it's a little too much. All of these things have to tie together from the show. It, it turns a little bit too fanficy for me at parts. Okay, how about you, Matt? See, I felt slightly differently compared to Pulitzer. I felt this book had less happening considering the page count. There's a few different plot lines that don't seem to tie up and then all come together at the end. But in terms of the actual events, I found this a much easier book to just sort of glide through and not have to not have to slow down every paragraph going, hang on, who's doing what now? It, it was a much easier <laughs> read. And for, for a lot of authors... Uh, having a book of this kind of page count without that much happening would probably be because of paragraphs upon paragraphs detailing every bit of Sam's immaculate hair. Uh, but <laughs> with this, it just seems to be there's, there's some talking and there's some nice scenes. I found this a very easy read, with one exception. But yeah, generally, very good book. I think it's easier to follow than Pulitzer, I agree. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a much more contiguous type story than Pulitzer was. So it, it does flow a lot better than Pulitzer did. But for all that, I'm kind of on Team Allison here. I, th- I, I feel like this novel has um, very many very good things and um, very many things that are detrimental to it in equal measure. And um, I, at the end of the day, I felt like it was almost like a kitchen sink novel. Anything that Liz could <laughs> think to cram mm-hmm. in there, she yeah. did. And yeah. there were just so many random connections to everything that happened in Quantum Leap previous to this, it, it, it reminded me not so much as a Quantum Leap novel as much as it is almost like a journey into the extended Quantum Leap universe. It's, it's like she was doing Marvel movies before there were Marvel movies because <laughs> yeah. this, 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 yes. this book just packs in a bunch of stuff. First, I thought it was a sequel to Another Mother, right? And then yeah. we have Angela show up. So now it's a sequel to It's a Wonderful Leap. And can you guys – there were even more though. Like the connections just kept on coming hot and heavy. I thought, okay, we have two – sort of like a joint sequel here. That's kind of nice. And then it starts to get a little overwhelming. <laughs> I started trying to write down some of the connections here. So uh, Teresa Bruckner from Another Mother, uh, she grows up. She just so happens to go to Boston and know a priest who also taught Sam. And then Angelita shows up and it's Christmas at the project. And Al is sad about his dad and, and because he died uh, around Christmas. And also on the leap, it's April Fool's Day. I don't think they pay lip service to this, but that's when Beth decided to give up on Al. So there's another connection. And then he's also being audited because of a senator or something. And then the son of the senator also happens to be on the leap. And then all, there's all these connections to all these different leaps where Sam has head trauma and they never really quite explain why that happens. Just that coincidentally, he's also going to get head trauma on this leap. I think that's everything. Oh, and then Sam might also be trying to stop himself from leaping. Yes. <laughs> Another plot thread in there. Alison, do you have a board there covered in photos with bits of string connecting them? Because that's exactly how I visualized you doing that. Yeah. It's that Always Sunny in Philadelphia meme where he's got all the strings in the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. There's just a lot happening. 
Yeah. Like, there's too many, like, connections that are, like, coincidental. I think that's why it feels like it could have been condensed to, like, a a few less plot lines. I don't mind the idea that, like, Angelita meets up with uh, Teresa and those two plots kind of come together. I just felt like it was just too many things. Yeah. 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 I mean, other in-universe things um, that I noticed, we also talked about the fact that Sam had been a priest before. So Al is like Mm -hmm. noting these coincidences, right? Sam was already a priest once. Yeah. And then there was the boxer plot with the nuns. With the nuns. And then they did mention Boogeyman in this as well. And then Shock Theater was also mentioned because of the head Mm -hmm. trauma thing. Right. And so that's, that's, I was trying to date this novel as to when it took place. And the nearest I could find was that it took place sometime after Shock Theater because they'd mentioned the last time that Sam got to use his real name. It was not a good circumstance. And I don't recall them, you know, referencing anything after that. Well, um, Angelita was after that because that was season four. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. It's a Wonderful Leap was season four. And that was, so that was after Shock Theater. Yeah. This is December. Lee Harvey Oswald was early 99. So this is very late season four, probably. Okay. So the the project is on Christmas, December of 1998, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So I want to talk a little bit of lore because the first thing that Liz talks about in the front of the book is the fact that she sets Sam's initial leap date to May 12th, 1995. Now, uh, Matt, if you want to explain this logic Specifically, is Liz the first one who came up with this? Because I know this has become somewhat accepted within the fan community. I can't believe she'd be the first person to have done this in fan fiction. I'm sure this would have been around by then because her logic is perfectly sound, um, which is that there's a reference about four days into Genesis to a Laker game happening in the present day. We know that Sam leapt in 95, and there happened to be a Laker game in 95, which Storm just says, right, well, it's that one. So take four days back from that, and that's the leap date. So she's the first person to do it in any kind of canon. I'm sure it was probably lurking around fandom before then. The only small wrinkle, and it's barely even a wrinkle, is that the date that she provides sets his leap on a Saturday, and Prelude uh, gave his leap on a Friday. Well, Prelude doesn't match with anything. There's plenty of the end of Prelude that has that has problems. So yeah, uh, it, short answer to your question, though. Uh, yeah, Liz is the first person to do this in any kind of canon. And I think you're the only one that accepts the novels as canon, so she's... Well, the reason I ask <laughs> is because... Sense, though. Yeah, like, it does uh, make sense, though. Anything licensed, anything licensed, they, it, it's never been confirmed on screen, Chris, if that's going to be your canon. It's never been confirmed on screen. In terms of the comics and the novels, this and Mirror's Edge are the only ones that give dates. Mirror's Edge gives a different date. Okay. All right. Well, I'm looking at the little blurb that you gave, and um, she's saying that a Laker game went into overtime, and May 16th, 1995, Mm -hmm. they went into overtime. Coincidence? Um, I have, in this novel, calculated the date of Sam's first leap to be May 12th, 1995. That's why I ask if she came up, because she doesn't say um, it's widely accepted in fandom or anything like that. She says, I have calculated in this novel the first leap date to be May 12th, 1995. And she says it's not canon, but it's one heck of a coincidence. So that's why I was curious to know if this was the first time this has popped up because she's writing it as if she's never heard that before and she just deduced all this. 
Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I, I've done a lot of that kind of stuff with the new series and, and the old series, saying I have calculated this based on some things that are, are fairly clear on screen. Once that Laker game happened, I, I don't know. I, maybe Liz was the first person to come up with it. I just, I just know if I'd have been around at the time, I'd have spotted that as well. Yes, but- uh, Matt, we have no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> But it's whoever came up with it, and Liz, if you're listening, and this is you, fantastic. It's great to have a date, and it's a date that makes sense. So whether it's you just got it into what I consider to be official canon, uh, or whether you also came up with it and did that, either way, hurrah, we have a leap date. One of the most important events in the series, and we finally have a canon date for it. I think this geeky stuff's kind of cool, you know, whether she's the first person to come up with it or not. I remember reading that. It's like, oh, that makes sense. Kind of cool when it retroactively fits. Yeah. Yeah, that's a neat coincidence that we're able to find in the real world that helps us jive all this stuff together. So, yeah, and I I don't know that it's especially important who came up with it first or, you know, it just seemed to me that the way she wrote it, it was just like, oh, is this the genesis of that? Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Maybe independent people came up with it independently. So, it's been known to happen. Yeah. Well, I guess she's saying like, here's how I came up with this date, which is pretty cool. And also like – that date was important to this book because uh, he leaps fairly close to this date, and uh, mm. that's part of the story that they they bring up. And then I I don't know if they satisfactorily uh, go over this, but uh, they uh, throw out the idea that maybe Sam is there to stop himself from leaping. Yeah, and this seems to be mm. Ziggy's big thing in this book. So I there is so much to explore here. I honestly, wh- what do you guys want to start with? Well, let's start with that, because I think that's like one of the smaller elements, despite that being a big deal. Because I, I think it's kind of interesting, like, so they think this maybe is a possibility, and Al is like, don't do it, because if you do that, you're going to undo all of the good that you've done, and Sam's like, well, maybe maybe I'll actually just not be trapped here and I'll still do this stuff. But I think it's kind of interesting from Ziggy's perspective. She thinks she should have stopped Sam from leaping to begin with. It's a very human thing for her to think. Yeah. Ziggy says something I can predict with a 50% accuracy that Dr. Beckett will still be able to help them. So I don't understand that because she's saying he might not leap until the retrieval program works properly. If he is warned, he might not act so impetuously. And Al saying, if he doesn't, what happens to all the people he helped till now? Huh? What happens to Tom Stratton and Black Magic and Jimmy LaMotta? What happens to all the other people whose lives have been helped by them because of what Sam did? And then that's when Ziggy says, well, I can predict with 50% accuracy that Dr. Beckett will still be able to help them. So I I, I don't understand. She's saying there's a 50% chance that by the time Dr. Beckett perfects the retrieval program, he will also perfect a means by which to leap without interfering with the original timeline. That confuses the hell out of me. Yeah, because if he's not interfering, then he doesn't save any of them. Because the original way it was supposed to work, according to this novel, is just observing history and not Mm -hmm. being there. But I'm thinking they're talking about the original timeline, which is the timeline that they're currently in. Is that what she means by the original timeline? uh, That's what confused me about about that line. I don't know. (laughs) I'm so confused. The whole thread (laughs) is kind of weird. It would be a neat idea for a novel for Sam to leap to 1995 and do something to do with the project. That's not at all what this book is about. It just seems to be some page filler with some postulating (laughs) 
And it, it's it's kind of interesting, but it just goes nowhere. And I, I want it to either yeah. go somewhere or just shut up already and get on with the actual plot. I, I don't think it needed to... That would that would be something I would edit out of this book because it doesn't affect yeah. the plot any in any way. And it's a big deal for the characters to be considering that, but it's not actually utilized. And that also, like, if anyone else had wanted to do that in a book, uh, they wouldn't after that because it was already used. So it feels kind of like a throwaway. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was confused as to why it was in there in the first place. And then... We had this this revelation, according to Liz, that the project you just mentioned, Allison, was not designed to help people or to change history, but just to observe. So yeah. then what's the point of having an accelerator and leaping if you're just observing? You already have an imaging chamber. How is he going to leap and not interfere? I, I'm so confused about that. Yeah, that line seems to contradict uh, some of the backstory that's given in this book, too, about why Sam first leaps. They say that he first leaped because he was motivated to save his family, and Tom especially, but if that's not what it was for, then how was he going to do anything to save them? And then, um, this was kind of interesting, too. Al remembers two versions of Sam's first leap. Yes. And after he saves Tom, he remembers him trying to save someone else with, with the uh, implication that no matter what, Sam was always going to be trying to save someone and he was always destined to do this. But again, how does this work if he was never meant to interact with the past? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say it's too neat of a coincidence to to say, hey – we have this proximity where Sam can potentially stop himself, but you can set this leap anywhere. So she did this deliberately to make this a story element, to make this some kind of plot point and to bring up the possibility. But it just seems to be the one of the few half-baked things in the book. One of the few things that is not very well thought out, just put in there for a gee whiz factor and just ultimately goes nowhere. And I say that not dumping on the book. I think the book is actually, you know, it's long. It's not overwritten, but it's self-indulgent, and there are things that could be cut from it. But for all that, the plotting is tight. The story elements all jive together very well. So this element of the book really stood out as an outlier of like, just what is she trying to do with this? It, it just felt it was like she had all of her ideas, and she's like, I don't know how many books I'm going to get to write, so I'm going to put all of the ideas that I have in here. And uh, not all of them came together. Some of them did, you know, in a, in a kind of delightful way that I enjoyed seeing this as a novel, but wouldn't necessarily want to see it as an episode. There's some of them that are like that. Like, I enjoy reading yeah. this, but I wouldn't necessarily want to see it on screen. So, yeah, I mean, there were interesting things about it. Was 1995 the furthest forward Sam has leaped? Because I don't think, I don't remember anything any more recent than that. Unless there was something like in, in the last novel or something, but. Uh, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Mirror's Edge. Yes. Uh, Does Mirror's, Mirror's Edge, Edge go further forward? It goes, goes to 1999. Oh, okay. He leaps to like six months before the present day. Oh, okay. Mirror's Edge, he, he leaps to June, but the, at the project, it's December. Right. Okay. But I mean, uh, other than that, I think this is uh, this is the furthest so far that Sam has leaped. And I think the furthest he does outside of that. So yes, but here's the thing, though. I mean, it's so because it's time travel, it's such an arbitrary plot point to make anyway. Oh, Sam can call himself and say, hey, Sam, don't leap. Well, I mean, listen, the leap back showed us that all he's got to do is write himself a letter. 
and he could potentially yeah. do the same thing. He doesn't need to make a phone yeah. call. So I always find this as kind of a specious plot point anyway, because it's just, I guess maybe because you have that automatic connection. Hey, I'm going to get a phone call from me. And that seems neat, but he could do this at any time that he leaps. He just doesn't think of it or chooses not to. It doesn't even require a letter. He could make that phone call in any <laughs> episode apart from Leap Between the States. I mean, sure, some of those ones set in the early 50s, uh, toddler Sam might not really have understood the message, but <laughs> any of the ones from the 70s and the 80s. He could have made a call yeah. and said, look, you're, you're in the middle of inventing something. This is how it's going to go. Remember this for the next 10 years or so. Yeah, I mean, I guess the further back, the less likely you are to be successful or maybe for him to believe that he is himself in the aura or the body of another person. I mean, mm. I don't know. There's lots of things. I thought it was weird that, like, Sam seemed to be the one less concerned about the people that he helped on the leaps, and Al seemed more <laughs> concerned about it. I would have thought it would maybe be the other way around. Mm. But they had, like, an interesting parallel here, because there, there's the implication that Sam leaped to save Tom, and then he leaped to save someone else, and then basically no matter who he saves, it's going to change things so that he leaped to save someone else. And they draw this parallel between him and Angela in the book, where um, I don't know if she said it, someone said something about angels never stop being angels. And I thought that was specifically about her and about Sam. Well, there, there was a lot of theology in this book and describing what angels actually are as opposed to how we see them in popular entertainment. Right back to they always talk about Clarence and it's a wonderful life. I mean, I guess guardian right. <laughs> angels are supposedly different than actual angels because angels are separate created beings, beings of spirit that circle around the feet of God or whatever. But they're not like humans who do good deeds and then get wings. And they make a point of saying in this book that no, you can't be an angel. You were a human. Even if say, – say I believe you. Say you died and you came back and you have to help people. You're still not an angel. Angels are completely separate types of beings. So I kind of liked that about this book. But at the same time, they found a way to jive the two ideas together. Father O'Keefe came to that realization with the help of Angelita saying, you know, well, I, this is what I believe and this is what I'm here to do. And – he comes to the conclusion that maybe it doesn't make much difference because the ends are the same or something like that. Right. Wow. There was so much, so much church in this book. So much church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a, a huge part of this book. Um, angels and religion and faith because Teresa, uh, she goes to this monastery uh, for sanctuary because she's on the run after stealing her boyfriend's uh, drugs. So the guys that are after him are now after her. And uh, she has had this crisis of faith because an angels Sam and Al were her angels when she was a kid. And then they said they would come back and they never did. And now all of a sudden they're back. And uh, at this monastery, these nuns, uh, for whatever reason, can see uh, Al and can see uh, yeah, whoops. anyone in the imaging chamber. So there's this weird, like, they think that they are angels and that Sam's talking to angels. 
Yes. I yeah. guess Angelita is an angel, but yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but anybody can see her, right? So it's yeah. Well, no. When he she was in the imaging chamber, they saw her as uh, as an angel. Yeah, but they yes, saw they her could as an see apparition. her when she, she's working both sides of the leap. There's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have so much to talk about. We're all right? over the place. It's like there's like another plot thread <laughs> coming up. It's like, oh yeah, this should we go into that or should we continue with this? Because there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. Oh, it's it's like we're channeling Storm herself. <laughs> so, so much to think about. Sorry, where do where do we begin? Where do we begin? You want to just uh, since this is an Al novel, why don't we talk about the Al stuff? And then I have so many issues with Teresa, and you know, Angelique, not not so much. But I mean, this is. Uh, I, I you say this is a lighter novel. This is ten times more depressing to me than <laughs> what Al went through in Pulitzer, because we delve deep into Al's backstory in this novel about how he watched his dad die, and this is why he hates God. Right, that's part of his crisis of faith. Yeah, yeah, his crisis of faith. So, a lot of this leap is forcing him to dredge that stuff up to the point where I'm sorry, it it. It just veered into freaking melodrama. I was just like, are we going to read an extended italicized death scene for three pages of how Papa Calavici is like coughing up his guts and the blood is trickling mm-hmm. down the side? Is this an opera? And it was around Christmas. And it was this around was a Christmas. This added that it was around Christmas and so Al hates Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> was his dad named Violetta? I mean, I felt like I was watching Traviata. It's crazy. <laughs> I I tried thinking back through previous times. I'm sure that must have been contradicted. I'm sure Al must have said that he likes Christmas before now. Yeah, I feel like him not liking Christmas is not uh, anything that, that seemed to match up. But no. he, he was singing Christmas carols and stuff and... A little miracle. Yes. So I don't know. I guess the Christmas stuff, yeah, I guess to have the crisis faith. But to me, it was the fact that he was faced with all this religious stuff. And then the right, fact that the right. leapy was the priest in the waiting room who had a very big part. And because he was a priest of integrity, he was saying that Sam is an imposter. He cannot be there and give these sacraments because he is not qualified. So he insists on – at least guiding Sam. Like, I guess the lesser of the two evils would be for him to be there and Sam could be his proxy. And that's where we get him in the imaging chamber. And again, it's a little bit like, this is a lot. Like, this is, it, it, the book is is packing in so much. And while it's interesting, it's just like, did we need to go through an entire Latin mass? Did we need to go through like pages of people giving <laughs> confession? This is where I'm saying it's self-indulgent. <laughs> you yes. know, it, it's just like, I don't know. There are ways to write it where it's a little bit more streamlined, but this is obviously what Liz likes. Her area of interest could be religion, especially Catholicism. And I can't blame her for that. I mean, I was into a lot of um, different religious studies when I was in my 20s. Uh, the first book I tried to sell after Foreknowledge was a heavily religious-based novel. I I have plenty of books of Apocrypha and different Gospels that don't appear in the Bible. I was really into this stuff for a while, so I get it. I get that that mm-hmm. that sort of that zeal. Two of my favorite novels are Gospel by Wilton Barnhart and God Knows by Joseph Heller. And, you know, one is the retelling of the biblical David. The other one's about a religious scholar like Father O'Keefe, who's trying to work on his last book. But it explores so much about religion, especially Gospel, about Catholicism. And I enjoyed that book greatly. So I get it, Liz. Like, if this is what jazzes you, sure, write about it. But at the same time, I just felt like it was a little bit too much and it distracted from the leap stuff. Sam's part in this book was the weakest part in this book, in my opinion. He uh, he wanted to eat. 
Yeah, that was it. And that was the gag. He kept, <laughs> he kept trying to get some dinner or some breakfast or anything, <laughs> and then he kept getting distracted, and that's a big... That, it's that, and should I stop myself from leaping? Can I get something to eat, or should I stop myself from leaping? And both of those seem equally important to him. Yeah. And I, I don't know <laughs> why we needed all of these things. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I didn't mind uh, all of the religious stuff. They, it probably could have been cut down a little bit. But um, really, I think the things I would have cut was the should he stop himself from leaping and the plot line with, um, what's her face, Lillian and Steven? I know that gives something for, like, Angelita to do, but I felt like that was also, like, one plot too many. It didn't need to be in there. Mm. Yeah, so if we can maybe just refresh the listeners' memories, Angela was there ostensibly to save this character, Stephen, who was the son of an employee of Father O'Keefe, who Sam leapt into. But because she wound up um, – what she, she tried to save Teresa instead, so this kid died? Something like that. I mean, Teresa died too, because that's the the beginning of the book is the original history where she dies. Yes. Yeah. So she, if for whatever reason, it got messed up and Angela can save Stephen, but can't save both of them. And that's where Sam comes in. Right. And uh, Lillian also was fired by Father O'Keefe. And uh, so Angela is also trying to convince Father O'Keefe in the the waiting room. Because she's working both sides of the leap. She's going to both timelines uh-huh. or both times. Yeah. Uh, she's trying to convince him to hire her back because that ruins uh, her life. And again, it's just – it's too many elements. It was a lot. And for all that, I liked the fact that she was using Angela in such a such a dynamic way, right? I think having her in both times is interesting. I like, I like that. that part. But, but okay, mm. so why – if she's an angel and she can travel to anywhere at any time, why does she need to show up at the project gates and try to get in? Why doesn't she just appear <laughs> in the waiting room or in the control Draw. room? <laughs> if she could show up at any time, why doesn't she just show up on the same leap just a little bit beforehand and then sit, two of her on the yeah. leap to save people? I mean, if she could go to anywhere, anytime. Don't think about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> But I felt like, again, very interesting and a lot of fun stuff to play with because she's such a good character. And I think that Liz did an especially good job of purposely capturing her voice for this, even though it, right. it was a little bit jarring to look at it on oh, the page. That, what did you What did you think of that? Yeah. yeah okay, Matt. You, you, you found that problematic? <laughs> that was uh, – when I, when I said at the top of the show, oh, I found this a really easy read. With one exception, it, I had to stop myself because of this. I – I loved the character and it was really great to see her back. But yeah, every time she spoke and she, yes, Storm captured her perfectly, but it's so hard to read. And I, I was also, as I was reading it, I was thinking, wow, how hard must have that have been to write as well? I shouldn't be thinking about the writer while I'm reading something. It, it took me out of it completely, which is a, a shame because and it, it's the only way she could have done it. Yeah, I think she'd have to write it for a lot of the jokes to work, write it phonetically, because her accent and her mispronouncing things is such a big part of the character and her her speech mannerisms. Mm -hmm. I didn't find it hard to read, but I get why it would be. Yeah, I mean, I've had some practice with this kind of stuff. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Irvine Welsh, and he writes everything in like the Scottish vernacular. Oh, yes. Oh, no. It's almost like Martian. That'd be tough. 
Yeah, and but I love it. I mean, I've read every one of his books. So, I mean, he's one of my favorites. So, I feel like he primed me for this kind of shit. <laughs> yeah, no, f- fair, fair. So, Matt, I, I, you're familiar with Irvine Welsh? Yes, I've not read any of his stuff because, well, I, I, I speak to Scottish people on a regular basis and can't understand <laughs> them. I mean, the idea of actually <laughs> reading that stuff, good grief, no. Yeah, well, we're, we're gonna, when I come to the UK, we are both going to Edinburgh, you and me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. You can translate for me. I'll try, I'll try. So, so yeah, that didn't take me out of it so much, um, again, because of previous reading. So thank you, Irvine. And, uh, what what did take me out of it was Teresa. I, I I'm struggling. I'm struggling to understand Teresa's motivations in this book. Number one, why is she depressed that she hasn't seen Al? It's not like her life is bad. She's making bad choices that are putting her in trouble. But it's she's she seems to be default upset that she never had seen Al again. Because the angel broke his promise. But but to, for what? What was she waiting for for him to come and fix? What what did she need from him that he failed to deliver? Her mom died. I don't know. It just seemed like a weird default for the character. I mean, if you think that he's an angel, you think angels can come in and fix anything, right? Like, why, why couldn't an angel come save her mom from cancer? Why couldn't it, an angel change her boyfriend from, you know, dealing drugs and disappointing her all the time or her uh, her brother not believing her? You know, that would be kind of tough. Like, you're talking about the angels and then nobody believes you and then you're questioning yourself, right? Did the angel break their promise or was there ever an angel to begin with? I thought that was kind of interesting. Do you need an angel to tell you not to steal some drug dealer's stash and bring it with you? That, to me, is just dumb. Some people do. But that's just – what did, what did she think she was going to accomplish by keeping the cocaine? I feel like why didn't you she just get mad at characters for having flaws. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, why would she do – there's no logical reason. Why, she, why wouldn't she just say, hey, George – Here's your coke. Get the hell out of my life. Goodbye. I'm ending it. What? Because that's what, hard. It's someone she loves. To what it's a complex ends? situation. But what what, 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 what? what is she going to do with the coke? No, no, Chris, Chris, Chris. She made a bad decision, and that's why she she ended up in that bad situation, right? Characters doing dumb things and needing somebody to come in and rescue them is what the whole show is based on. What, what is your yeah, problem no, now? This one, this one to me was just like, what the hell are you doing? This is the obvious wrong thing to do. I, I honestly don't know where what you don't understand. <laughs> Whereas characters pretending to be vampires and, and killing each other, that's fine. <laughs> I guess, okay, I guess it's just me. I guess it's just me. And, um, and Teresa's not a big dumb idiot. I don't know. Hey, uh, readers, uh, listeners, uh, what do you think about Teresa's character? She makes some dumb moves, but we've only seen her before as a young child, so I couldn't say this is out of character for her. How old is she supposed to be She's in supposed this? supposed to be 19, she, she, I think. 19. 19, yeah. 19 is still really young. You make a yeah. lot of dumb decisions when you're 19. I think she just didn't know what to do, and she got in a bad situation. She's 19. She's supposed to be a super genius. She finished her um, her bachelor's when she was 15, and she was working like on her doctorate thesis, and that's why she had Father O'Keefe as a teacher. Right. I don't know why she had to also be made a genius. She could just be like a normal average Joe, you know? Maybe it's so that you could put her realistically in Father O'Keefe's orbit 
and also have that connection with Sam. But there didn't need to be that connection with Sam. She already had a connection with Sam. Well, Liz loves connections. There's too many connections. (laughs) It's a small universe. Yeah, and then, like, Father O'Keefe apparently was a big dick to Sam, right? Like, he, like, read his his essay, and then he, like, tore it up and threw it down in front of him. It wasn't an essay, it was his doctoral thesis on linguistics. His doctoral thesis? Sam has a doctorate, he's got, like, like, five doctorates, right? you suck! He's (laughs) like, you suck, and it's like, oh, that's such a mean thing to do! He was the character I liked the least, he was a jerk. Yeah, He's, he's just a dick. From start to finish. He's a dick, but he, he was he was a consistent dick. Yes. Yeah, not everyone's a nice person character, but I didn't like him. It's <laughs> not so like, uh, God wouldn't approve if Sam went and gave mass. Well, God put him in that place. Yeah, but no. Yeah, well, he's a man of principle. Yeah, he's a man that knows God better than God himself. <laughs> I guess. I mean, he, no one said he wasn't arrogant, but uh, at least he, yeah. he knew what he believed and he knew what he stood for, so. Yes. Oh, the the uh, boyfriend, Teresa's boyfriend. He is the son of a senator who is going to expose the project, because I forgot to mention that was a plot point. The project was going to be exposed or something, and then that, and they're having an audit at the same time that Weitzman's arranged, and there's all these, like, hot ladies to do the audit, and uh, eventually, like, saving, uh, what, George was his name? George was the, the uh, boyfriend? the one character I forgot to write on the, on the sheet here, but it was George. Yeah, yeah, okay. Eventually saving him and getting him out of drugs... Uh, gets the senator like it. It changes something for the senator, right? The way it worked was that um, the senator, um, I, Smallwood. I don't know if this was another character that was someone that was also from Pulitzer, because there were a couple of different characters from Pulitzer in this book. One was uh, Senator Weitzman, but of course we know that from the show. There was another guy named Mark Davalos, and he is now the head of security at Project Quantum Leap. What did he do in Pulitzer? He was like an ensign that helped Maggie get oh, access. That guy. Yeah. Right. Okay. I forgot that was the same character. <laughs> right. And Al actually befriends him at the end of that book. And then he follows his career in this book and he realizes that he's a good officer and he could be a good resource and he's loyal. So he eventually right. works his way up to the, the head of security at the project. So I thought that that was a nice connection to keep in. And I'm not sure if Smallwood, because I know that there was another Dick Senator in Pulitzer, if this was the same one. So this was a guy that was um, going to go down for um, embezzlement and and drug use and things like that. And he threatened Weitzman that if he was going to go down, then he was going to expose Project Quantum Leap. Because Weitzman was on the ethics committee that was taking this guy down. So the guy's like, oh, yeah, you're going to get me. I'm going to get you. I'm going to expose this black-funded project that's sucking up the public's money, and then we'll see who's in bigger trouble. Or at least I can distract from this a little Mm. bit. So that's what this was about. But it turns out that this senator is the one that got his son started on drugs. And as a result, uh, the kid George was dealing them because he wanted to keep up the lifestyle, but his father would not help him with that. So it was just all about money and having nice things. So that was his motivation. And then he eventually worked his way up to like sort of a mid-level guy, not just a street dealer, but one of the guys that distributes the drugs to the street dealers. And he deals directly with some of the cartel people, like some of the generals from the cartel. So that's what that was all about. And once what happened was there was a press release that came out, even though the auditors were trying to figure out where the discrepancies were and all that, um, this senator sent out this press release and they figured they had about 30 minutes before the, the project was swarmed. 
swarmed with news cameras, with news hounds saying, what goes on here? Um, but since they saved George and they got rid of the coke and, um, you know, he, he made a deal and then he got, he got clean or whatever, that entire storyline went away. And you, you see, okay. like it happens, Al's in the imaging chamber. The history goes away. He's just standing in a blue room, but he's certain that everything that they were just worried about is now part of the original history that has been changed. So they don't have to worry about it anymore. It's not happening anymore because there was no there there. So Okay. Yeah. yeah there was all of that. Yeah. And see? The senators I'm surprised that I was audit, able to recount that as, not, as Yeah, <laughs> as I'm surprised you remembered all this. And it's not just an audit, it's three auditors. So we have to hear about every character doing mm-hmm. this uh the auditors were a brunette a blonde and a redhead and um, the hot lady auditors the hot lady auditor the brunette was Kay. the blonde was jenna <laughs> and the redhead was christine thank you very much chris pike <laughs> she was chris pike chris, yeah she was christine pike <laughs> tell me none of us were thinking about anson mount the whole time oh yeah i was like this has to be a star trek reference going yeah, on here maybe yeah yeah it was too much too much going on. And I was thinking, I did not realize that that Davalos was a character from Pulitzer. I remember him now. But I was thinking, I was like, man, I'm really glad that the show never showed the chief of security every week, because that's not a character that you need to see all the time. That'd be pretty boring, huh? <laughs> I see what you did there, Allison. <laughs> What an unnecessary addition. Uh, yeah, I didn't really care about what was going on with him. As interesting as it was that uh, the Stormverse was happening here. It, again, it's just too much. It just need to be a streamlined a little bit. All of these things, like, by themselves are fine. I think, like, Sam stopping himself from leaping was the only one that really didn't seem to have a really good ending or it didn't seem thought out as well. The other stuff, like, on their own is fine. It's just altogether too much. Well, I mean, if you want to pile on, let's just make some more complications. All of a sudden, we have uh, the nuns. Uh, how many Sister Mary, Sister Michael, Sister whatever? <laughs> uh, I, who, who, it was so many yeah. nuns. Were and- you having none of it? <laughs> <laughs> we had Sister Mary Catherine, who I, I termed her Manic Pixie Nun Girl. Uh, she was... The mm-hmm. first nun that we met, but by far not the last. That's the one that wouldn't stop talking. Oh my god! Yak yak mm. yak yak yak, and then she sees Sam's penis, and then she then she stops <laughs> oh, yeah, talking. There was yeah. the scene where she, <laughs> she sees his penis, and then she will not talk to him after. <laughs> He's like taking a whiz, and she walks over too soon, and then oh no. <laughs> yeah. So the way that they posit this, you did mention this earlier, Allison, but let's let's get into it a little bit. They posit that the nuns can see anybody in the imaging chamber. Maybe not clearly or some more clearly than others because they have um, a different alpha wave in their brains because of all the meditation that they do. Yeah, because they meditate. They meditate. So um, this didn't come up in Right Hand of God. (laughs) Yeah, which they mention. uh, They've met lots of religious figures uh, in Quantum Leap and it never came up that 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 would make I, I them feel able like, to see. I feel like here's the difference. Now, this is just me, pure speculation, like headcanon here. The sister, who was the sister in Red Hand to God? What was her name again? Uh, I looked it up too because I was wondering if she was, was going to show up in this. One of them? Yeah, Sister Angela. And then Nancy Culp was the, was like the mother superior with Mrs. Hathaway from the Beverly Hillbillies. That's right. So, she was a scrappy city nun. 
she was she was busy, you know, getting the getting <laughs> the orphanage built. Getting done. Right? She had much more worldly concerns. The sister act none. Yes, uh, <laughs> I guess so. She had a lot more going on in the real world that was keeping her focused and her faith was a little bit different than somebody who is like an oblate in a monastery like a lot of these nuns were who spend most of their time in contemplation, in prayer, in meditation. So that's where I saw the difference in this and why a lot of people at that place, not just the nuns, could see some indication of the people in the imaging chamber as these bright lights, as these, quote, angels, because they're in a much different headspace. So that's that's where I, you know, all the nuns that we saw and all the all the priests and stuff that we saw in the series were in much more grounded worldly situations. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. Seems like a lot of head cannoning to cover <laughs> cover up for Liz just throwing some shit in. She could have just skipped a couple of pages and we would have lost nothing apart from one of my favorite lines of the book, uh then his halo swallowed our hole. Yeah. <laughs> which I, I love. It's a, it's a it's a really beautiful poetic line. D- does that make the whole thing worth it? I don't. But I don't it does know. because it does it does um, help in the end. It it all comes together in the end because when Teresa's falling off the cliff, it is the mm. fact that they can see Al and Sam has already fallen off this cliff. He's like he's at the bottom. He's like broken. <laughs> he gets fucked up. Completely. <laughs> he gets fucked out. He falls down a cliff, get all broken and mangled. Oh, man. And so he failed to rescue Teresa. And so she's right. still hanging on for dear life. So Al is just like, hey, wait, they can see me. And then he goes and he gets right. the nuns and they come and you know they mount this huge nun rescue effort. And I believe an actual angel, like an angel created being angel shows up at the end to get rid of the drugs, an angel named Malachi. I could be wrong about that, but this guy just comes in. She says, I don't, I don't think I've seen you at the retreat before. He says, oh, don't worry, sister. I'm just here to help. And then they find the drugs in – in Teresa's doll, the same doll from another mother with the head that always right. fell off. The fact she kept that the whole time, I don't, <laughs> no, I don't but then, know. So this, this, you know, this guy Malachi just takes the cocaine and says, hey, mother, I know you don't want any publicity here about all the miracles that are happening. What if this just washed out to sea? She's like, do it. Yeah. I like the way you think, Malachi. He's like, what if we wash it out to sea and then later someone retrieves it so it can be there at the end of the book? And it's like, it's like kind of, I want it both ways. He washed the drugs out to sea, uh, not the doll. Right, but they said that they fished it out. They went to go Did get they? the doll. Oh, yeah. they fished the doll out? That's what Teresa says, that they fished the doll out. Oh, okay. I missed that part. I thought that he just took yeah. the drugs out of the doll and the doll was somehow returned to Teresa. No, he he chucked the doll out there and then they're like, hey, wait a minute, I want that back. And then <laughs> someone fished it out. I don't remember who she said All fished right, it out. But someone did. Anyway. I, I don't know. I thought it was kind of uh, an intriguing comparison to Al and another mother and Al and Angels Unaware uh, because both times he is posing as an angel and in another mother, he seems to think nothing of just being like hey well of course we're angels even sam is just like no when when she asks if they're angels al says yes sam says no and uh in this one uh when the um the nuns are seeing him as an angel uh, he seems to be really uncomfortable with that because of his complicated relationship with god so i don't know um, maybe it was more of a conditional thing with Teresa. it's something that she could readily comprehend that wouldn't freak her out 
or you know had the least potential if if that's where her brain is going why not lean into it and you know validate that belief so that we can get on with the leap and she'll understand why a strange strange man is in the clothes of her mommy so that's the way i looked at it it was just it was a matter of convenience yeah it's just kind of i don't know i think it's interesting that in both stories he's seen as an angel but it's very different results yeah, well, I mean, one might say, again, as I started this this podcast, it was a bad result for Teresa in so many ways because she seemed to be scarred by the experience instead of uplifted by it. So I don't – I really don't know. that. Again, that, that whole part of the book baffles me. I, I find that to be a bit murky. I find that to be the most because, because book part of the book because we <laughs> needed Teresa to be conflicted for some reason. So why not make – Something that seems to be so wholesome and beautiful and wonderful on the TV show into somehow a net negative that actually affects the character adversely. I I just I, I'm sorry, I just don't buy that. I just don't. I think that is kind of an obvious route to go, actually. Like in a not in a bad way or anything. I just think like it was one of the things, one of the threads the show left hanging that was so weird that Al says, "I'll come back." He promises that he will, and he never does. At least nothing on screen ever indicates that he ever did, because why would he come back? How would he come back? It's just a, a weirdly empty promise to give a little girl that he has this connection with. So if you were going to follow up on that story, and I'm glad that there was a story that followed up on it, I think that's what she would feel, the fact that he made this promise and never fulfilled it and never came back, of course you would feel a little resentful of it or maybe you'd be confused. And I'm glad that there was a conclusion to that. Maybe that's why, you know, it it wasn't good for her until they had this this conclusion for her, a finality to it. We'll uh, we'll, we'll get on to another mother at some point next year at the rate we're going, but I don't think it's that weird lying to a little kid. I mean, I don't know. I, I do it all the time. It's not weird lying to a little kid to a certain point, but promising to come back. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to promise to come back. He could have done like at the end of Tale of Two Sweeties, like, you don't need me. You have a mother. You have a family. Like, you'll be okay. But he says, I will come back. And that was just, it just seemed like a weird thing to leave hanging. BT dubs, hope your mom doesn't die of cancer. <laughs> she died of cancer! <laughs> Her mom dies of cancer, and then Al's dad died of cancer, and then we got the ending of the book. The the last two pages. The last two pages. What the F is going on here? I remember the first time I read this, I'm like, what the F are you doing? I gotta be honest with you, that ending both, uh, I got emotional, I teared up, Mm -hmm. and I was incensed and enraged all at once. (laughs) So I want to hear what you guys what, – what Allison, obviously, I, I know you've done a whole video on this so, or part of a video anyway. Where do you fall on this ending? I don't know. I think it's, it's unnecessary. But I get that not every ending has to be happy. I guess it's kind of bittersweet. It's not necessarily supposed to be a sad ending completely. But it just feels like it's too much. Again, like too many elements. Like I don't know. I, it felt a little tacked on. Maybe that was the point. It was supposed to be shocking. Did we explain? We should explain this to the the listeners. Okay, yeah, by in case the way, you hadn't read the, the book in a while. Is. 
But uh, but Teresa and Angela show up uh, at the project, uh, and Teresa gets to talk to Al in person, and it turns out uh, she's an angel now, because she died of cancer. <laughs> Everyone dies of cancer. She died of cancer the day before. Everyone dies of cancer. <laughs> and so Al is just like, so why? Why did we even go through this? Why did we rescue you if you're just going to die three years later? And she says, because I wasn't ready then, but because of everything that happened, I stayed on at the monastery with the sisters and I became contemplative and that made me ready for this next step in who I am or, you know, from who I was to from life to death, basically. And this is where I sort of start to have a problem. But Matt, I want before I go into my screed on this, I'd really like to hear what you think of this. I don't know if I want to hear what you've got to say about this. So when at one point she says, uh, oh, no, I don't eat. Which is uh, a, a line that Angela said in her original episode. I remember the first time I watched that, uh, the first time I read this book, I just, I, I closed the book then. I was like, I do not want to read the next three pages. I do not want to see what's about to happen because I know what's happening here and I hate it. But no, I, I love it. I don't feel that it's tacked on any more than a lot of other epilogues in this range. There's a lot of final scenes that are they're a natural close but they are set sometime later or some some point outside the flow and yeah i i'm really happy with the way this ended i don't know what's wrong with you two guys it it, it absolutely killed me i think it's a perfect ending and it absolutely killed me why does teresa have to be ready to become an angel uh, by staying in a monastery when Angela's backstory was she became an angel basically as penance. She had to be humbled. Yeah, that didn't work out well, I did it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that they implied that Teresa was going to go around being an angel and doing good deeds. I think she was just on her way to heaven basically. And Angela kind of gathered her up to give Al this closure because that's what this scene was about. And that's why what I loved about it This had nothing really to do with Teresa. Teresa was a means to an end in the sense that because of where she was and the benefits of the perspective that she has now that she's going to heaven, all of the struggling that we see Al go through, all the memories of the trauma of his childhood of praying and praying and praying and praying for his dad with seemingly no result because his dad still dies of cancer. And this is what turns Al against God and against the church and he just thinks it's a load of hooey. But, and this is where I get angry, they say that his dad would not have made it in had Al not prayed for him. So we are now in some kind of quantum leap universe in which there is an afterlife, and specifically it's a Catholic afterlife in which you have to petition the Lord with prayer in order to be good enough to get into heaven. And if you don't have anybody doing that for you, oh well. So Teresa's whole thing was to be introduced to this monastery so that she could stay there and become contemplative and pray enough so that she was good enough to get into heaven. Al's entire suffering and all the prayer that seemed useless, it's a wonderful closure for him saying, I did, everything I did did help my dad because now he's good enough to get into heaven. I find that both both sweet and endearing and a great end for Al and also fucking repugnant that you would need somebody to intervene on your behalf or become good enough to have some kind of eternal reward. And I understand this is just strictures of of a faith. I get it. But personally, that enrages me. Like I see red. 
And yeah. that's why I'm of two minds of this ending. Like I loved it and I teared up because of this closure that we get for Al. Finally, of this pain, this painful thing in his past is finally put in some good perspective. But at the same time, it's just like, oh, the way that they did it made me angry. All right, I get that. Yeah, I get it too. I think maybe the way to go about it would be saying the fact that he asked him to pray meant he was ready because he already had the faith. He already had faith to ask Al to pray for him, um, and that would be enough. No, I think it was specifically implied that he would not have made it in uh, had Al not prayed so hard. No, that's exactly how it was worded in the book. I'm saying maybe that's what they should have said. Instead of saying, you have to pray to get someone into heaven, if that person has that faith to ask for someone to pray for them, that would mean that they that they had faith and that they were ready for heaven, right? And not just, you know, you have to pray or it's not going to happen. Yeah, that could be a way to go, sure. I, I, what I'm saying is I understand what you're saying, and there might have been a different way to, to go about it in the book, because I get exactly what you're saying. Yeah, Alison. I actually, now that I think about that, that would be a good way. But then are we talking about Catholicism here? And I don't know if this is something that is specifically <laughs> Man, <don't> Catholic. <laughs> so my ignorance here is the fact that I'm not really sure if this comes from some kind of like liturgical dogma that, you know, Catholics adhere to. And if it is, if it's something that they need to do, this book was overwhelmingly Catholic. I mean, the God of the Quantum Leap universe is the Catholic God. So it just makes sense in universe for this to be de rigueur. Like this is what we have to do because this is what the church teaches and this is the world that we're in and this is the universe. If we're going to accept this story, at least this story takes place in a universe where the God of the quantum leap universe is the Catholic conception of God. So it fits in with the book, but at the same time, there are things about it that I find quite frankly, distasteful. And I, you know, I might be opening up a can of worms here. I'm not trying to disparage anybody's religion, but it was something that made me angry as I was reading the book. And, you know, we're all about talking about how we feel when, yeah. when we, when we right. do the stuff. So I don't want to yeah. be disingenuous and gloss over that point. Uh, you know, if I'm feeling angry about it, I'm sure there are other people who felt equally angry about it. So. Right. I mean, I guess the, I wasn't uh, thinking about that, but the point of that ending was to help Al give closure um, with his father. Exactly. And part of that was saying like, well, your prayers weren't for nothing because that's what got him into heaven. But then, you know, if you think that, like... What happens to the poor schmuck that's dying alone with nobody? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So definitely, yeah. like, I mean, I, I can't speak to what Catholicism says specifically about that. I mean... What I believe is that if you have enough faith to ask that, then obviously you have faith and you don't have to have someone pray enough to get you enough points to get into heaven. You know, either you have the faith or you don't. But I don't know specifically what uh, Catholicism says or if that's something specific to it. But yeah, it was meant to give Al uh, some sort of closure. So it wasn't just tacked on. You're right. But yeah, I, I didn't personally like <laughs> the ending. <laughs> Well, according to uh, Catholic.com, to get into heaven, you have to come to God and be saved. You need to repent, have faith, and be baptized. Uh, if you commit mortal sin, you need to repent, have faith, and go to confession. That's it. That's all there is to it. That's according to Catholic.com. Yeah, so you don't have to have, like, prayer points. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's, that's good. I can I can live with that. So that's just that's a, a Liz Stormism. You can be angry. 
That might have been Vatican One. Maybe maybe they got rid of that in Vatican Two. <laughs> you know, yeah. it does feel like something that came from a real place. And Catholic.com is is I'm sure with a web address like that is, is bound <laughs> to be a decent source. But there's going to be different takes on that. So yeah, I, I don't think Liz actually just came up with that. You'd think I'd be better versed. My first job for the first four years after I got out of college was working for the Catholic Press Association. So that was incognito. They said, with those Irish looks and that Italian name, no one will ever even ask. So don't volunteer it. <laughs> the fact that I wasn't Catholic <laughs> and working for the Catholic Press. <laughs> anyway. But they know now. They know now. Uh-oh. Somebody leap back and help 24-year-old Chris. Thank you, Sam Beckett. Say enough prayers <laughs> for me that I can get out of the Catholic Press. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe if you want to like have a, a charitable interpretation of it, it was, you know, his father maybe needed more strength in his faith and Al Prang helped him with that. Maybe hmm. that's the thought behind it, you know. That's a nice way of looking at it. You look at you finding you're finding the goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you and what have you done with the real Allison? Oh, sorry. Uh, a fart joke. <laughs> I'll throw that in there. <laughs> you should go with the dick jokes in the book. And uh, one of my favorite lines, you were talking about the halo swallowing Al. Um, mm-hmm. Sam is eating a hot dog in his hospital bed at the very end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sam is all messed up and he's like, I got a cheap yes. hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> he's so happy. <laughs> I don't even care if I stop myself from leaping. A hot dog. <laughs> I had a specific line. I thought I had it marked, but I lost it. Oh, but it said something like the the fact that he swallowed his last couple of inches of meat. <laughs> oh, Maybe I'll, try, right. I'll cut that out. Christopher <laughs> De Philippus. Uh, so this is no prude anyway all right uh, i got a couple more notes and then like that's all i got on this they're they're just short things so uh part of al's story is that he doesn't like christmas uh because of his dad uh they say at one point that uh al and gushy both work during christmas to keep loneliness at bay they don't really go into into gushy's story that much i kind of headcanon that gushy was jewish Really? Yeah. Because Dennis Wolfberg was also Jewish. So maybe like, he's like, Christmas, I got Hanukkah. So I'm not, I, I what am I going to do on Christmas? I'll just hang out at the project. <laughs> You're not going to be headcanoning that for much longer, are you? I'm pretty sure that's established later on. Do they say he's Jewish in one of the books? I'm thinking about Song and Dance, which is quite a heavily right, yeah. Jewish novel. Maybe I got it from there. I don't know. No, I might have made the assumption. I'm going to have to read that again and see if they actually... We'll find out. We'll talk a lot of Gushy then. But uh, at least at this point, I don't think they've established that he is. But And I don't think they mention it in this book. But I think maybe, yeah, I think maybe that's my headcanon. That's why he's kind of lonely around Christmas. Mm. We get so little Gushy stuff. So That's true. But I think that they maybe (laughs) would have made something of that, right? The fact that he was Jewish. But it hadn't even occurred to me until this very moment. I just saw Gushy as being a lonely person with no life. Yeah, I think Gushy was kind of, I mean, we didn't get very much about him on the show, but uh, I always saw him as kind of a lonely character. You know, like he gets with Tina occasionally, uh, (laughs) but it doesn't feel like, you know, he has that much of a life outside of the project. Yeah, sometimes he's married to Tina, sometimes he's boning Tina, sometimes he's just a lone wolf. Yeah. Sometimes he's boning Donna. (laughs) I found the line, yeah, Al muttered. He stepped a little closer. He's here, Sam said, swallowing a mouthful of meat. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, uh, I knew it was there. Thank you for making that so sexy. And then he chugged some coffee and ate some salmon. He ate, some and salmon, right. he ate a pop tart off the ground. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he slurped some mayonnaise off of somebody's nose. Oh, oh man. <laughs> it was sexy and repugnant all at once. <laughs> what is up with Sam's eating habits in these books? Uh, all sorts of weird things. Anyway, okay, last note. Uh, they mention Al being an astronaut again. Just thought I'd note that. Uh, and Angela's like looking through his stuff and then she's like, you were an astronaut? Yeah. <laughs> Apollo. I just thought that was kind of funny. I like that. I liked how Angela was written in this book. She had a lot of funny moments. Mm. Yeah, I think Liz captured her very well. So, Matt, do you have any final observations before we go into final thoughts? I got nothing. And I got my meat line out. So, uh, Allison, final thoughts <laughs> on uh, <laughs> Angels Unaware by Liz Storm. I feel like I've probably nitpicked more than praised uh, in this uh, in this podcast. But overall, like, I did enjoy the book. Like, I wished it was a little more streamlined, but uh, I do like how they were written. I think Elizabeth Storm is one of the best authors in the series. I mean, like, she uh, she did Pulitzer, and that's considered one of the best. So, uh, yeah, I thought this was uh, an interesting story. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I found this one a lot of fun. I found it a lot more readable than Pulitzer. It's one that I'm more likely to go back to and reread in spite of the fact that some of the plot threads just need culling and moving to a, a third Liz Storm novel, a third one that never happened. But yeah, it's it's fun, and damn well love that ending. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I know that um, I've brought up my most negative part of the book right here at the end, but uh, I just want to reiterate that um, I love the fact that this book was um, so sweeping and had such a such a an ambitious scope. And it really did try to not just give you a quantum leap book, but immerse you again into the quantum leap universe. And I think in a way that Pulitzer couldn't because we were so focused on Al's PTSD and that one specific part of his life, that that was the main focus of that book. I think this was all of Liz's other Quantum Leap stuff after she told that story coming to the fore and her playing with it and mingling it in many fun ways that I found both dynamic and interesting and thought-provoking when I wasn't exhausted. So uh, I, <laughs> in the end, I loved, like I said, I, I even loved that ending because of the closure it gives for Al. I just have some real problems with how it gets there. But um, a little self-indulgence, a little too long, but in the end, one of the best books in the range. I mean, just just this sort of this dense wonder land of everything quantum leap so thank you liz for another another great entry into the novel series and uh i think that closes the book on our discussion of angels unaware and uh, i have no break to throw to because i have no patreon news and we have no feedback so um i'm thinking that you might have some opinions out there in podcasting land of angels unaware if you do there are many ways that you can let us know how you feel about this book you can get us at p.o box 542 bayport new york 11705 send me your screed send me your missive send me a, a bible with everything highlighted with all of these <laughs> things about how you need to pray to get into heaven you can get us by phone at 707-847-6682 you can email us at quantum leap podcast at gmail.com you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash quantum leap podcast you can x us at quantum leap pod you can Gram us at Quantum Leap Podcast, and you can YouTube us at youtube.com slash the Quantum Leap Podcast. And you can always go that extra mile. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com 
slash Quantum Leap Podcast, and there you will find our official Patreon discussion thread for this book, and you can comment there as well. Just remember, we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And Matt, 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 what's what's coming next? (laughs) I've not heard of this episode before. This took too long. What's this, Chris? (sighs) The mind reels. Could this be a new a new episode of Quantum Leap? It's season two, episode one. Shall I read the synopsis? Shall I tease us in? Tease us in, tease us in. Because we don't have a leap in, so... Yeah, exactly. Uh, instead of leaping home as expected, Ben finds himself in 1978 aboard a top-secret military flight transporting mysterious cargo. When the flight comes under attack, the plot deepens as Ben and the crew discover the sobering truth behind their mission. dun 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 this took too long. An all new adventure. First time in print. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Yes, so, very excited to be talking about that. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'm looking forward to talking about it. And um, I'm glad that we were able to get Angels Unaware done before the new series because I think this is a great place to leave off with the novels too. So, yeah. So, yeah. Thanks, guys, for a great discussion. Uh, I look forward to the whirlwind that the next eight weeks will bring. Best of luck, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Allison. Best of luck. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you in November. I, I, yeah, I'll be back uh, with the classic uh, podcast stuff, but uh, it's worth listening to what uh, Chris and Matt and LB are doing. We'll see you in the future, Allison. And Matt, I will see you next time. Until then, I have been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Allison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And new Quantum Leap! Yay! Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Harold Sullivan, Glenda Palma, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Jeff Kiska, Greg Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production. He's here, Sam said, swallowing a mouthful of meat. The angel.